0: Well, this time the kids, the rest of you, I want you we're going to look at, we're to open your Bibles to two places, and I'm doing this because the second place we're going to look at this morning, it's going to be hard to find, uh, but I'm, I want, that's why we're going to find it now, and you're going to put a piece of paper there. And so I want you to turn to the book of Habakkuk, all right? Now, if you're uh, familiar with the Old Testament, the Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Uh, the minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and then Habakkuk. right. So find that if you don't have a Bible, you have there's a pew Bible close to you. The text we're going to be looking at um, later on in the service is on page seven hundred and eighty five. So once you found the book of Habakkuk, stick a piece of paper in there and then turn to Mark five. That's a little easier to find. We've been there. So Habakkuk in your pew Bible, page seven hundred and eighty five. Okay, put a piece of paper there because otherwise it's going to take us a long time later in the service and I don't want to take the time then to find it, so we're doing that now. By the way, if you think Habakkuk, I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. Or if you're not sure where it was, you're blowing the dust off of it. Next Sunday, we're beginning a new series of Eastside Essentials classes. Uh, Those are six-week modular classes that we're doing. Uh, One of them is going to be Theology for Everyday Life. Uh, Jude's going to be teaching that. Pastor Nate's going to be teaching an Intro to Eastside, a membership class, which, by the way, there are some of you that need to jump into that class and finish up membership. Okay, little nudge for you. And then the other one is a Bible Basics workshop. And we're going to spend time working through learning all the books of the Bible, learning the theme of every book of the Bible. We're going to review the gospel, and so you have a gospel outline. We're going to talk about this Bible arc and how all the pieces of the books of the Bible all fit together. And uh, we're going to use cartoons to do a lot of that, so it's going to be a fun, uh, fun class. But that's going to begin next Sunday, 9 o'clock. And um, if you don't know what the theme of the book Habakkuk is, you need to come to my class next week. All right? Okay. So, book of Mark, okay, we are back to Mark, that's where we're going to start. Don't lose your place in Habakkuk. Back to the book of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to look this morning in Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. To introduce our message this morning, I want you to consider a question. I want you to consider the big challenges in your life. The big things that are confronting you right now. And to consider, what is Jesus asking of you? Ask What is Jesus asking of you as you face these big challenges? Uh, and, and then to understand, why do you want him to do this? As you pray to God to give you guidance, to give you direction, to answer this prayer, why do you want God to answer that prayer? Another question for you is, what if God doesn't answer that prayer? It's a big thing going on in your life, this big burden, if God doesn't answer it. This morning, this, this morning, we're going to look at a text, and we're going to recognize that trusting Jesus to do the impossible can seem really scary. And yet, trusting Jesus to do the really scary stuff, it, it, it's where God calls us to. I mean, think about in your own life, what do you do when you're in a desperate situation? You're in a desperate situation, and you don't know what to do. Everything that you know, you've talked to friends, you've researched, you just, you're at the end of your rope, you don't know what to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's a marriage challenge. Maybe it's, there are problems in your relationship. Maybe it's loneliness, grief. Maybe it's a job situation that is, you, you've tried to make things different and you're just struggling there. Maybe it's failing in a struggle against a particular sin that you're seeking to have victory, and you've tried, and you tried, and you've tried, but, but nothing has happened. Maybe it's a health issue, that there's an issue going on with your health, and you're wanting things to be different. You're seeking to, you've gone to doctor after doctor, but it doesn't seem to be anything's changing. As we think about these kind of desperate situations, we often find ourselves with nothing else to do but to look to Jesus. And we're kind of confronted with that because oftentimes we realize that one of the last things we do is to look to Jesus because we have no other hope. But as we consider that this morning, we're going to see two individuals that help remind us that we're not alone in this. The two people we're going to look at in our text are just like us, that they're in a very desperate place and they don't know what else to do, so they turn to Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, let's begin in verse 21. The passage says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great flat crowd gathered around him, and when he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him. And in the crowd she touched his garments. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving himself, that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched you? And he looked around to see who had done done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher any further? But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion of the people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered in, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And he went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. As we begin in this passage, we see Jesus returning back to the Jewish side of the sea. We saw last week that he had traveled across the sea. He had healed a man who had been possessed by a whole legion of demons, an army of evil inside of this man. Jesus spoke and made the man well. On their journey over, they encountered a storm and Jesus spoke to calm that storm. And now they're back and all the crowds are realizing Jesus is back and everybody is surrounding him. And one of the guys that comes to him is a guy named Jairus. He's a synagogue official. He would be somebody like maybe in our churches, like a deacon, somebody who helps organize and oversee things. He was one of the officials there of the synagogue. And it says that he fell at Jesus' feet. In verse 23, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him, praying that Jesus would come to help him. And imagine being this dad. We're told over in verse 42 that this girl was 12 years old. I mean, as little girls are, they're the love of their dad's lives. And as she's grown, she's 12 years old, this dad has watched her health wither and fade. And now it's teetering on the point of death and he's desperate he has nothing else to do doesn't know what else to do so he comes to jesus he comes to jesus with hope that maybe jesus could do something he has certainly heard the miracles that jesus has done and he comes in a desperate situation asking jesus to help and we see at the end in verse 24 it says and he went with him it's interesting as jesus is surrounded by a crowd and we would certainly conclude that there were other very desperate people in that crowd People that had come to Jesus for help, and yet Jesus is responding to the need of this Father. And He leaves the crowd to go to this one. In many ways, we see a reflection here of what we see in other parts of Scripture, of Jesus leaving the 99 to go for the one. As we consider some things that this passage, this initial part of this passage teaches us, is it teaches us that, that when we are in desperate situations, when we are in desperate situations, that we need to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus for help. And we recognize this, that as Jesus calls us to look to Him for help, my PowerPoint notes are switched here, but the first point is this, that Jesus cares enough to get involved. That Jesus isn't aloof in this. He isn't like, well, I've got all these other problems. I'm dealing with these. That's not what he does. Jesus gets involved. One of the things we see, too, in this desperate situation, the man comes to Jesus. And oftentimes, I believe that, that when we are in our desperate situations, we oftentimes turn to Jesus, and, which I think Jesus welcomes that. But I also believe that there's a spiritual war that goes on that there's a spiritual war to keep us from turning to Jesus. And it's like this play of, of guilt and shame and knowing what we should do, but, but we're really at the end of our rope, and we know we should have been looking to Jesus a long time before this. And now there's this guilt. Man, I should have been talking to Jesus a long time ago. I mean, does, would he even want to hear anything that I have to say now? I've been neglecting Jesus and neglecting Jesus and neglecting Jesus, and now that there's a crisis, what right do I have to come to him? And there's a level that that's an accurate kind of an understanding. But I would also say, anytime time we come to Jesus, we're in a desperate situation. The first time we come to Jesus in a saving way, we are coming to him in a desperate situation. That we understand that we are sinners, helpless and hopeless before a righteous and holy God because of our sin and we're separated from Him. And the only hope that we would have that, that God would do anything for us or that we would be heard is because He's good. He is a good God who wants to hear us. He cares enough to listen to us. He cares enough to get involved. But we also recognize not only does he care enough to get involved, but that he can do the impossible. Jesus can do what's impossible. This sick girl that nobody can help, she is on the brink of death. This man believes that Jesus can do what is impossible. And I would ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus can do the impossible? Now, I, I really believe that confessionally we're all there. Confessionally, we would say, on the test, "Can Jesus do anything?" Check. Yes, He can. But on Tuesday afternoon, when work is driving you crazy and you're discouraged and disappointed and frustrated that you, that, that that truth, Jesus can do anything, becomes an absent reality because this is really hard, I don't know what to do, and Jesus must not even already care right now because I'm in this miserable situation. And I think there are times that we confess, we have this confessional theology that's accurate, that Jesus is the, 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 he's fully God and able to do anything. But oftentimes the things we want him to do and the things that he's going to do don't always match up. And because he's not doing what we want him to do, we often just kind of think, well, he, doesn't either care or maybe he can't do it and we've got this wrestling going on in our heads and our hearts but we realize that again if you know jesus is your savior you've experienced him doing the impossible the fact that a holy god can allow sinners to come into his presence is a work of his impossible of his is a ability to do what's impossible because we have no right to him we have no access to him apart from his love for us. And he has reconciled sinners and a holy God through Jesus Christ. Well, as the man goes, as he recognizes, he's looking to Jesus, he understands Jesus cares, Jesus can do the impossible, it says that as he goes in verse 24, a great crowd follows him. And there was a woman. And this woman who's had this discharge of blood for 12 years comes to Jesus this is a woman who is in a desperate situation. This issue of blood that she has would have made her ceremonially unclean because of the Jewish law, because she's Jewish that this 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 issue of blood would have made her a position where she could not go to the temple, she could not go to the synagogue to worship. If she would come in contact with other people, if other people would touch her, then they would become unclean. And so we could realize this woman, probably very isolated, social outcast. She can't go to the places where everybody else goes. And in our passage, look what it says about it in verse 26 she had suffered much under many physicians. I mean, we get the idea that she has gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And those doctors have been miserable to her. She has suffered much under those doctors. And as these doctors are hopefully trying to help her, it goes on and it says, too, that she had spent all that she had. I mean, she's gone to every doctor in town. She's everybody, she didn't have the Internet, but she looked everybody she could look up, all the research, she's done everything she could, no answer. And then she's subscribing to this doctor, spending money here, spending money there, spending every penny she has. Why? Because she needs to be better. And she's desperate, and she wants to be better. And she spent every penny she has, and look what it says. And in recognizing all of this, she spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. That's a desperate situation. That's a hopeless situation. I have nowhere else to turn. I have no other doctor to go to. And even if I could find another doctor, I couldn't afford his help. And she hears about Jesus. And she hears about Jesus and she concludes that verse 27, it says, She heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I even touch his garment... I will be made well. And we're thinking, well, how did she come to that conclusion? Even if she touches his clothes, she might be made well. Well, turn back a couple chapters in Mark to chapter 3. As we're seeing the ministry of Jesus grow and what is happening, how are people responding to Jesus? In Mark chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, And Jesus, the popularity, his popularity is growing, and people are coming to him and coming to him. And verse twenty, and uh, verse nine says, "And when he told his disciples to have a boat ready, because the crowd for the because of the crowd, unless they crushed him." I mean, people are just pouring in the close; they can't get to Jesus. And it says, "For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him." There's maybe this idea that others have touched Jesus and been healed. Turn with me to chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, we see a similar idea. In chapter 6, verse 56, again, these crowds uh, funneling to Jesus and all around him. In chapter 6 of Mark, verse 56, it says, And wherever he came, in villages and cities or the countryside, They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him. They begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So there is this power of Jesus. I mean, this is this healing power. He is the Savior of the world who's come, and He's ultimately going to fix everything and all of creation when He comes back. But here in this city of Jerusalem, or in, in this northern Israel, as He's going around, every all kinds of people are being healed. And this woman thinks, if I can just touch Him. If I can just get close enough to touch Him. And as we see this woman, that her thinking is right. And when we recognize that she's looking to Jesus in this desperate situation, she's also learning to trust Jesus when there's no other hope. When there's no place else to turn, Jesus is the one who can help. We see this as well, that, that, that he can do what no one else can. And that he can do what money can't buy. Jesus is able to do these things. This woman has been not able to be made well. And again, as we're beginning to see this woman who's hopeless, helpless, Jesus is the only one who can do something for me. Maybe he can do that, that she is desperate. She has no more money, no more resources. No one can help her. And I trust as you are looking at this passage, we're beginning to see this connection with the gospel, that we see this connection with the gospel. That, that, that we, in our sin, are a people who are helpless and hopeless. That, that there aren't spiritual doctors that we can go to who will make us spiritually well. Jesus is the great physician. There is money You cannot give enough money to get rid of your sin. You cannot give enough money to a church, or to a charity. You can't be good enough to get rid of your sin. Like this woman, she is unclean. We are unclean. We are an unclean people, unacceptable to a holy and a righteous God. And yet in His love, He is drawn near to us. And if we will, in faith, draw near to Him, repenting of our sins, trusting Him, He will make us clean. He will transform us. That is what God is able to do in us. And as we understand this, that this gives us hope. Well, let's see what happens with the woman. So she's come up behind Jesus, and she thinks, if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. And in verse 29, it says this, And immediately, as she touched Jesus, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt it in her body, and she was healed of her disease. Goes on and tells us, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, if we're one of Jesus' disciples, we're going to ask the same question they ask. Because Jesus, so there's this crowd and all kinds of people bumping into him, wanting to touch Jesus, and he turns around and says, who touched me? And they're like, what are you talking about, who touched you? they are like 50 people just touched you in the last minute. What do you mean, who touched you? But Jesus recognized that this, he was touched in a way that power went out from him. And he recognized that this wasn't just somebody else bumping into him. This was somebody with genuine faith. And this person with genuine faith, faith bumps into Jesus and now she is healed. That real power has gone out from him. And as Jesus sees this, he recognizes it. As the disciples say, you see the crowd around you, you say, who touched you? And he looked to see who had done it. Now imagine you're the woman. You just wanted to come, touch Jesus, be healed, and go on your way. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus has a bigger plan for this woman. But the woman, she knows what had happened and she hears Jesus say this, and it says in verse 33, and he, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. This fear and trembling, am I in trouble? Should I have not done this? I mean, I secretly did this. Should I have come to him face to face? What's going to happen? Is he going to be rebuked me? What's going to happen? And yet Jesus, as she comes down, she tells him the whole truth. She tells him everything that had gone on, and it says in verse 34, and he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus addresses her as daughter. A term of endearment. And I think also a picture of a spiritual work that has happened in this woman's life. That this woman is now a daughter of God. Because of her faith. Look how the passage says it. He says, Your faith has made you well. And this word, well, has made you well, it is a Greek word that we get the word our salvation from. It is that we have been saved. That is this idea that we've been made complete. And Jesus says to her, Go in peace. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. Not just, we're okay. But go away with this wholeness. You have been made whole, and it says, "And he healed, and be healed of your disease." It, it seems clear in this that Jesus is saying to her: not only has your faith made you physically well, but has made you spiritually well too. That you have been made whole. That her physical malady, because because she's already been healed, right? She touched Jesus, she's healed, she's wanting to walk away. She's like, I'm good. And now Jesus calls her out, she turns back. Jesus says to her, your your faith has made you well. Okay, that's right. And now he says, be healed of your disease. I can't help but to think the disease he's talking about here is the disease of our sin. Be healed of your disease. Your faith that that has healed your physical body is a faith that will save your soul. And he's calling this woman to complete wholeness. And that's what God wants to do for us, that we have a God who wants to make us whole. He wants to make us complete. He wants to fix us completely. He he wants us to be satisfied in him, to be more than just have our physical needs met, but to make us whole. And what we see in the picture of this, of this woman's faith, is that faith in Jesus is the key to experiencing the supernatural power of God. How do we experience the power of God? By faith. How do we experience salvation? By faith. How do we experience the peace of God in the midst of our storms? How do we experience that? By faith. How do I find joy in the midst of a really hard situation? By faith. The supernatural power of God comes as we believe. Well, back to our narrative. We started this part. Jesus was on his way to heal this daughter, right? And they've got interrupted. And I think about this passage. If I'm the dad, I'm thinking, don't stop, Jesus. I know you love everybody, and I know that, but my daughter is dying I am in a desperate situation. And, and, and so as this goes on in verse 35, while he is still speaking, he is saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. And at that very time that happens, someone came from the ruler's house in verse 35 and says, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now imagine being the man. I mean, your life has just been sucked out of you. Your hope that Jesus could heal is gone. And the people are concluding, don't bother Jesus. Any- I mean, it's done. She's gone. There's no hope. He can't help. And yet in the midst of this, this, this dad and just, I guess, an emotional, the, the emotional tsunami that is just crashing upon him, and to thinking that 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 my daughter is dead. This isn't supposed to how this is supposed to happen. I've had her for twelve years. This isn't this isn't how this is supposed to work. And those of you in our church family that 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 that, that God has that you've lost a child, you know the agony of that, and the heartache, and how real that is. And yet we hear the words of Jesus. It says, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now, I will tell you, this is easy for us because we know the end of the story. Right? We read it earlier. What's going to happen to this girl? She's going to be raised from the dead. But I want to encourage us to just pause right here and imagine... You're the dad. And you've just heard your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, he, he says to us, do not fear, only believe. And I think of this idea. Believe what, Jesus? My daughter's gone. I don't know what you want me to believe. But what we see in this is that Jesus is telling this man, he is calling this man to don't stop believing when your worst fears are realized. I think it's good for us to pause in the middle of this passage to really think through what Jesus is saying. That Jesus is telling, he doesn't tell this man, he says, do not fear, only believe, because your daughter's going to be raised from the dead real shortly. It's not what he says. He just says, do not fear. And what we recognize in this context, he's telling us that faith conquers fear. This fear that they have, and, and recognizing that Jesus is worthy to be trusted, period. Jesus is worthy to be trusted, period. I would ask the question do you believe that? That Jesus is willing to be trusted, that he is willing to be followed, that he is willing to, he is, it is right to believe in him. Regardless. You see, I'm burdened oftentimes as we interact with people, with believers, and as we say we we trust Jesus alone and we trust Jesus, and yet whenever things don't go the way they want to, they've been praying to Jesus in this desperate situation, God doesn't do what they want to, that they abandon their faith. Become angry with God. They let their faith grow cold. They're just going to kind of go through the motions because, I mean, I know God's good. I know He's going to save me, but I don't know why He doesn't do what I wanted Him to do. And if a dad in this situation losing a daughter, it's a pretty big deal. This isn't little stuff. And He is saying to us that He is saying to us, and what we can learn in this is that Jesus is worthy to be followed. I'm burdened because I oftentimes think that what we really want from Jesus is a brighter day. I want Jesus to make my life comfortable. I want Jesus to give me what I want. I want Jesus to give me what I desire. I want Jesus to give me all these things. And if following Him is how I will get it, of course I'm going to follow Him. And I will continue to follow Him. And I will follow Him and follow Him and follow Him until... I'm not getting what I want. And when I don't get what I want, then there are things that happen inside of our hearts that push us away from God. Have you seen this happen in the lives of others? Have you seen it happen in your own heart sometimes? You see, when we have this idea of God, that following God is going to get me what I want... I'm going to follow God so that he'll do something for me, we've got the gospel completely turned upside down. It's completely turned upside down because the gospel doesn't say, follow Jesus so that he'll do these things for you. The gospel tells us, follow Jesus because of what he's already done. That we follow Jesus because he has, he has met our greatest need. He has died on the cross and risen from the dead to forgive us of our sins and give us new life. And now I follow God, not so that He'll give me all these things, but I follow Him because of what He's already done. He's already demonstrated His goodness, His care, and His compassion. And just because I don't get what I want doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love me. And Jesus says to this man, do not fear only believe. And now, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, this is an attitude I think that the author that Habakkuk had that Jesus, or that God, Yahweh, is worthy to be followed regardless. Because look what he says. So, do not fear, only believe. Here's what it says Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and no fruit be on the vines, no produce of the, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What's he saying? If everything falls apart, nothing goes like it's supposed to. Disaster comes upon me, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to be in this desperate situation. He says, even though all of that happens, he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I think this is a verse I would encourage you to underline and to be able to ask yourself, is this me? If everything falls apart... If I'm in this situation, would I say, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. It's a sobering reality. And that we realize that Jesus is calling us to himself. He's calling us to himself because he's good. He's worthy to be followed. Well, back in Mark chapter 5, let's see how this unfolds. The Jesus says to the dad, Do not fear, only believe. And in verse 37 of chapter 5 in Mark, he says, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So he puts aside the crowd, and he says, No more. You can't come, crowd. And so the crowd can't come, and he only takes with him the ruler of the synagogue, and Peter, James, and John They come to his house, all kinds of people are there, they're weeping, they're mourning in the midst of all of this, and likely they would have paid mourners at this stage of Israel's history, and so there's a big commotion being made about the loss of this daughter. And when Jesus enters, it says in verse 39, he says to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Now, does Jesus know the answer to that question? Of course he does. He knows his daughter's dead. These people have gathered for him. He knows exactly what is, he asked, what's going on. So why does he ask the question? I think he asked the question is, he's asking the question, um, why are you weeping and what is this commotion? And then he makes the next statement, the child is net, not dead but sleeping. I think it's a test of their faith and thinking, will you just be quiet and trust what I say? Or are you going to reason on your own understanding? And the crowd reasons by their own understanding because look what happens in verse 40. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. Are you kidding me? You're telling us this girl's not dead? We know she's dead. They have zero faith. Zero faith. And so he puts them all outside, takes the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand... I love that. These pictures of just a touch of Jesus. He takes this girl by the hand. And he speaks to her. Talitha, kumi. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome by amazement. As we recognize this unfolding, we see that Jesus not only conquers fear, but in this, Jesus also conquers death. That we recognize that Jesus can do far more than all that we ask or imagine. He is a God who can do far more than that. And we see Him answering this Father's plea and He raised this daughter from the dead. And I want to encourage us to understand what is going on in redemptive history here. That Jesus is laying this groundwork to help us to understand that He can do anything and he does do anything. But as we move through the old New Testament, we're going to recognize this Jesus who can heal and do the. He doesn't always do that, though. Because he has bigger purposes than us just being healthy and having our families with us. He has bigger purposes in this. And his bigger purposes are for us to be conformed to his likeness. To be transformed, as John shared earlier, in the situation where their family was in, that God used a a really difficult situation, the loss of a child, to help them to understand a bigger picture, that the God who causes all things to work together for good is the God who defines what good is. And good is that which conforms us to the image of Jesus. As we see this bigger picture, as we read through redemptive history, we recognize that's what God wants in us. He wants us to be like Jesus. And he's given his son to accomplish that purpose in us. As this girl gets up, she begins to eat. And then in verse 43 says, And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I think the little detail of give her something to eat, she's really alive. Okay, This isn't some weird thing happened. She's going to have to eat. But also, he doesn't say, he says, don't let people know what's going to happen. This is going to be a hard secret to keep, though, right? Because what's going to happen? That little girl's going to walk downstairs and walk outside, and all those people are going to be like, what? What happened? And I think Jesus would walk downstairs and said, why don't I tell you guys? Because here's the deal. For Jesus to raise the dead takes no more work on his part than it does for us to wake a sleeping child. I mean, think about you go into your 12-year-old kid's room and you're trying to wake them up, right? They they wake up. It's not not an impossible task. Uh, Some days it's hard. Okay, right, I get that. 12-year-olds could be tough, right? But the reality is he wakes them up and we can do it. What's Jesus able to do? Raise the dead. He's God. He is fully God. And as we recognize that what we see in this passage, that we need to look to Jesus when we are desperate for help. That we need to trust Him when we have no other hope. And that we would not stop believing when our worst fears are realized. And we recognize that Jesus offers supernatural help to us. Jesus offers supernatural help and hope to those who truly trust Him. Faith in Jesus opens up the door to His supernatural power. And the primary work that He wants to do in us is our transformation. And the question for us is, will we believe? Warren Weersby, a Bible teacher, summarized this passage by saying this. The contrast between these two needy people is striking. And it reveals the wideness of Christ's love and mercy. Jairus was an important synagogue official and the woman was an anonymous nobody. And yet Jesus welcomed and help them both. Jairus was about to lose the daughter who had given who he had been given him twelve years of happiness, and this woman was about to lose lose an affliction that had brought her twelve years of sorrow. Jesus cares. He cares about you. He wants to help you. And the manner in which he wants to help us is by us trusting him. And so as you consider the big challenges of your life, the things that seem helpless and hopeless, are you praying that he will change it? But as he may not change it according to your desires and the way that you want, if he doesn't, is he still worthy to be followed? God cares. Look to Him today. Look to Him for help and hope. Trust our Savior to do the impossible. Pray impossible prayers, and He may answer them according to our desires, but even if He doesn't, He is worthy to be followed because He is our Savior, and He is our God, and He is good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who cares. Lord, when we come to You and we're desperate for help, You are willing to listen. Lord, whenever we have no place else to turn, You want us to turn to You. And Lord, our prayers go answered that we are called to continue to believe. Lord, help us to be people who live by faith. Who live by faith because because we love You for what You've done for us in Jesus Christ. And this morning as we are... Gathered this morning, I pray that if there are some here this morning who are wrestling with their relationship with Jesus and trying to sort out where that is, I pray this morning that they would seek out, seek out me or someone else to be able to help them to understand the fullness of the gospel. Lord, for those who are here today who are in desperate situations, I pray they cry out to you. Lord, I pray also that they may look to someone else around them, a trusted friend, or seek counsel from from the church to be able to seek help and hope. Give them guidance. God, help us, help our lives to be a testimony to our confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.